Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and a warm welcome to the Friday Five, my weekly timely and topical dive into the world of well-being. And today, well, pinch punch, first of the month, if you are listening to me in real time here on Friday, the 1st of October, 2021. And don't you feel a chill in the air? I actually am quite liking this new crispness outdoors. But well, not so much looking forward to the clocks turning back in just a few weeks time. Oh, always so much harder to get up in the darker mornings, don't you think? Well, actually, sleep has been the subject of many comments coming into me from my various social media channels this week, with many reporting good things about magnesium and just how helpful this supplement is for encouraging a better night's sleep when taken an hour or so before bedtime. And I'm also a fan of a nice warm soak in an Epsom salt bath before bed too, Ooh, especially with a few drops of deliciously calming and soothing lavender oil popped in. Oh, what bliss. Uh, Do bear in mind, though, that for Epsom salts to work, you do need to use very large handfuls. And that is so that the body can absorb the small amounts it needs through the skin. And also, you do need to lie and soak in the stuff for around 20 minutes. Well, about the length of time it takes to listen to my Friday Five podcasts, in fact. Yeah, maybe they're a little bit longer than that. But what a perfect scenario. Well, anyway, I was actually talking to a friend just the other day about Epsom salt baths. And he said that he always bought his Epsom salts in bulk from garden centres. Yeah, much cheaper. And it means he always has a huge supply on tap, uh, if you excuse the pun, of course. So, well, I think I might just check that one out myself this weekend. Well, now, not only good for the sleep, magnesium is also one of the key minerals mentioned in a previous podcast I recorded with the brilliant medic, Dr. Katie Munro, she of the National Migraine Centre. This is a charity dedicated to helping anyone who suffers from these excruciating and debilitating headaches and more. Well, I first connected with Katie, well, over a year ago now, when my eldest daughter, Lily, was able to get a consultation with her. And her advice has been very helpful indeed over the ensuing months. 
Well, unfortunately, Lily is not yet cured, but many of the strategies that Katie advocates have been brilliant. And as we have just heard, Migraine Awareness Week, and Katie has just published a brilliant book on the subject, I thought it would be a very good time to invite her back onto my pod here to chat some more about ways in which the pain of migraine can be eased. So Katie, such a warm welcome back. We've spoken before in the the longer form version of my podcast and it's really just so great to have you back here to chat some more about migraine or migraine. So a warm welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation. And the, the migraine and migraine, I always say to people, it doesn't matter how you pronounce it as long as you're getting good help. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Now, this is very timely for lots of reasons. We had Migraine Awareness Week just a couple of weeks ago. And is that an annual event? Yes, it is. It's always the first week in September. Uh, And so we at the National Migraine Centre are always very busy during that week trying to kind of get active on social media and and wave big flags saying, don't forget about migraine. Sometimes we focus on a specific aspect. And this year, particularly, we're talking about self-care, self-management, what people can do to improve their own migraine attacks. Yeah, and, and there's so much that we're going to talk about here, which will hopefully be very helpful for a lot of people. So perhaps um, if you are a sufferer or know somebody, you might like to grab a pencil and paper, uh, because I know that we're going to be taking a little bit of a, a, a deep dive into that world. When you talk about self-care, are there practical steps that people can take themselves without perhaps re- resorting to seeing their doctor? Or should the doctor always be the first port of call? No, I think it's very, very helpful to, first of all, to understand what migraine is and why you're getting attacks. And then there's quite a lot that people can do to help themselves. So we know it's a genetic neurological condition. Uh, It runs in families, although not everybody can point to somebody in their family who's had it before them. Uh, But we know the genes make your brain a bit more vulnerable to change in your internal environment, in your external environment. So there are things about that that you can do to control uh, how frequent the attacks are. So things like having a regular routine in eating, maybe having a bedtime snack, um, going to bed at the same time or waking up at the same time, doing some regular exercise can be really helpful. But I always have to caution people to just be careful with exercise because sometimes uh, we find that having intense like high impact exercise can trigger people um, and also need to eat something and stay hydrated if they're going to be doing exercise Um, and then there's other things that are like hormones that can fluctuate and and cause aggravation and we particularly see this in women coming into their perimenopausal years Um, and they suddenly start finding that that migraine kicks off a bit and uh, sometimes they get migraine attacks when they've never had them before and that's what's that's what happened to me actually I've never really had headaches before I became uh, into my 40s and became perimenopausal so um, lots of things I think about prevention in terms of lifestyle and then supplements and then moving on to the more um, medically based preventers like medications or injections or even neuromodulation devices Great. Well, let's let's take a, a, a bit of an overview over each of those. I'm interested to hear what you said there right in the beginning about having a bedtime snack. 
is that for a particular reason? Is that to stabilize blood sugars? Is that to make sure that we've got something in our tummies? I mean, why, why would we have a bedtime snack? Yeah. So if you have long periods of time when you're not eating something, your blood sugar can go quite low. And we know that's probably one of the main triggers. Uh, and I think often people underestimate how important that is. So if you have your dinner at, say, 6 or 6.30 and then you get up in a hurry, rush off to work, don't quite manage anything apart from grabbing a coffee on the way uh, and maybe don't eat anything till later in the morning. You may have had up to 14 or 15 hours without having a proper meal. And so uh, it doesn't. when you're eating a snack, it doesn't have to be a full meal. It, it just needs to be something that gives you slow-release energy that will sustain your brain. Uh, and so we advise people to have low GI, slow release energy foods, whole grains, um, maybe things which are more protein and fat, and the complex carbohydrates, so whole grains and um, things with a lot of fiber in them. And of course, we know these days that there's a, a massive connection between the gut and the brain. So keeping your gut healthy by having a wide variety, um, I usually say try and have 30 different plant-based foods in a week. And of course, that can include things like chili or garlic or herbs. It doesn't have to be uh, piles of broccoli, um, uh, but it, but it's all very helpful. If you have a healthy gut, then uh, that seems to help the brain as well. That's really interesting. So you might have a late night stack, say, of a whole grain piece of sourdough toast with some peanut butter, say, or almond Absolutely. butter for protein. Yeah. Or you might have a little bowl of porridge or something like that that will that will give you that that kind of low GI, as you say, low glycemic index food that will keep you going. Yeah, I sometimes suggest things like um, a full-fat Greek yogurt or coconut yogurt if people are vegan or dairy-free, um, maybe with some ground-up nuts and seeds on it, maybe with some blueberries or raspberries. It doesn't need to be big, uh, but it just needs to be something that will sustain you rather than having uh, a chocolate biscuit or you know a Mars bar or something like that. Sure. A couple of points there. You know, this is very interesting for, for me because I, I write a lot about intermittent fasting. Yeah. And I'm a fan of intermittent fasting. Yeah. So and I know it works for a lot of people. Um, I guess this is about finding your own dynamic, isn't it? It's about finding what is working for you. And it's yet another example of how we can't be too prescriptive with diets or methods of eating because what works for me and some people may well not work for others. I think that's true. And I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of evidence coming along with intermittent fasting being quite a healthy way of eating. But for people who've got migraine, and particularly if they're in uh, if their brain is particularly irritable at the time, then fasting does seem to aggravate and trigger attacks. So if migraine tends to fluctuate in severity, so you may go through periods where you're getting a lot of migraine attacks coming thick and fast. And I definitely wouldn't try intermittent fasting during those uh, periods of time. But if your brain has been settled down and you are going through a, a time when there's not a lot of other changes going on to irritate your brain, uh, then you could you may well be able to try intermittent fasting and feel the benefit of it. Mm, really interesting. I'm interested to hear that you say that your migraines came on during perimenopause. I remember being perimenopausal without actually realising it in my 40s and getting really bad headaches. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not fortunately somebody who is prone to headaches. 
I don't know whether they were migraine or not. Obviously, as you know, my daughter Lily has migraine, migraine, and therefore has the gene. Whether I pass that to her or not, I'm not sure. Um, but it, they would be headaches that would put me in bed for a day and that didn't really respond to any kind of painkillers. And looking back, I, I now realise that I was lower in oestrogen and that was, I, I'm sure, what was happening to me. And I've thankfully not had any since having my oestrogen replaced with a bit of HRT. But do you think that that women, because their oestrogen is fluctuating and because their oestrogen is low, that that is a potential trigger if you've got the migraine gene? Absolutely. And I'm sure that yours were migraine attacks during that time. Um, so I think we can fairly confidently say that if women are developing migraine attacks uh, or headache attacks through the perimenopause, if they're debilitating enough, you have to go to bed, go into a quiet room, can't move around and do what you want to do. Those are migraine. I, I'm, I'm not going to uh, say that there's any likelihood that there's any other diagnosis than that. So we Gosh, know that isn't that it's... interesting. My goodness. Yeah. So yeah. I, I am. I, you know, that, that's quite interesting for me. I guess personally here because that shows that I do have the gene and I am susceptible. And I guess I need to be quite careful. And I'm what I'm hearing you say here, this this sort of narrative thread seems to be that the body does not like change. So it's a change in your routine, a dramatic change. Could that be a change in working patterns? Would that be somebody that would affect shift workers, for example, or maybe airline crew who have to cross time zones, that kind of thing? Yes, absolutely. Um, anything that changes can push your brain towards that threshold. And it seems to be a combination of things changing that irritate the brain. So if you are, uh, if you're having falling estrogen levels in the perimenopause, that can trigger attacks. You know that estrogen is a key hormone uh, which uh, keeps the brain um, healthy if it's in a nice even state. If uh, people with migraine with aura, funnily enough, get and worsening attacks if their estrogen is rising rapidly. So, of course, in the perimenopause, it goes up and down, up and down. Um, and so getting a good HRT, which smooths out those levels, and transdermal uh, HRT via patches is usually the one we would suggest. Um, but people who are traveling or people who do shift work, if you think about, you know, if you were um, traveling somewhere and you have to think about preparing so you might be stressed or excited that's a change you may not sleep so well the night before because you've uh, been rushing around and you're anticipating getting up in the middle of the night to go on an airplane or something uh, you may then go into a noisy environment or a very uh, glaring light environment in an airport uh, and then you may not eat in your normal routine uh, and you may arrive wind down which is again another trigger sometimes relaxation is a trigger all of those changes mean that people with migraine very commonly go on holiday and get migraine attacks when they arrive which is seems a bit unfair <laughs> very unfair but how fascinating to know that because i think if you do know that hopefully you can make your travel plans fit in with a relatively regular schedule making sure that you do eat making sure that your journey you know if you are in bright lights that maybe you take some sunglasses making you know actually being prepared for that and thinking this is going to be a change i'm going to try and minimize as many changes as possible to reduce the risk of having an attack 
Yeah. The other prime time, I think, is weddings. And having just been to my daughter's wedding, I was very conscious of the changes, uh, the anticipation, excitement. Sometimes, of course, after weddings, you get given a glass of champagne and then there's a long gap before you get any food. Um, she planned She planned for that. So we had very nice mini Cornish pasties. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds amazing, Katie. And I know, I mean, this has been an extraordinarily busy time for you personally, hasn't it? Because not only have we had Migraine Awareness Week, but your book was published at the end of August, Managing Your Migraine, and you had your daughter's wedding. Was that all kind of all at the same time? Oh, My no, goodness. <laughs> yes. So quite a lot of changes and excitement for me. <laughs> so I've had to watch out and be careful and make sure that I eat regularly and do, do a little bit of meditation or some Tai Chi just to help my stress levels um so i think often people get told oh uh, are you getting a lot of headaches it's probably stress uh, and that can be a bit dismissive and i uh, i don't completely say that stress is not the reason because i think it can be a factor um and it's also very helpful if you can control your stress because that's one less thing that's changing um but uh, it's never that simple that it's just stress Yes, but interesting that it could be the, the stresses that are changing, so the change rather than the stress that's actually the, the trigger there. Can we talk a little bit about helpful supplements? Because I remember last time we chatted on my podcast, you were very keen on talking about different types of magnesium. And I know that that's something that has been very helpful for Lily. And it's something that I now very much focus on and, and take. And I know a lot of my audience will will take magnesium too. Is that still something that you would focus on at the National Migraine Centre? Are there other helpful supplements that we could be looking at? Yes, there are. I, I um, used to say there were three. Now I, I add on another couple because there's been some recent studies uh, that have given us a bit of a, a nudge in the direction of omega-3 and vitamin D. So uh, we Omega-3 is a, a very healthy thing to be having anyway, and we get it naturally in oily fish like mackerel, tuna, salmon, that kind of thing. Um, but if you wanted to take a supplement, a high-dose omega-3 has been found to uh, improve people's uh, migraine attacks. So that's very useful. Is but that something that you would take sort of all the time? Sorry to interrupt you. Would yes. you take that all the time to yeah. help prevent an attack? Or is yes. it something that you would turn to if you felt one coming on? No, I think take it all the time as a preventer. With any of the preventers uh, that are supplements, I always say to people, you need to take them for at least three months before you can judge whether they're making a difference or not. Um, the other ones are vitamin B2 or riboflavin, uh, coenzyme Q10. Um, both of those are quite high dose. So the riboflavin is advised to have 400 milligrams daily. The coenzyme Q10, they did studies on people taking 300 milligrams daily. Um, and the vitamin D is generally a good thing to have on board anyway, because we know it's so important for immunity, for bone strength, uh, for all sorts of other things. But again, it seems to be important. And if you think about people with chronic migraine who may well be having to be indoors, lying in a dark room for many, many days of the month, they are at high risk to have a low vitamin D because they're not That's seeing the sunshine. That's a really sunshine. good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. So what sort of dosage would you be recommending for vitamin D? I think if you take 800 to 1,000 international units daily, that will keep your level ticking along at whatever level it is when you start. So I often say to people, if you think you might be low, if you haven't been taking it, then as long as you've got good kidney function, you can probably push up the dose to 3,000 international units daily. 
quite safely. But if you're in any doubt about the safety of that, just double check with your doctor. Doctors can do blood tests for vitamin D. They don't always do it. It's not always necessary. And most of us in this country, in fact, all of us in the winter, should be taking vitamin D supplements, whether we get migraine or not. Absolutely. And omega-3, so here we're looking at EPA and DHA, are we? And, and, and in what sort of doses? Yes, I, the uh, the doses are just high dose. I can't remember the exact figure that they did in the study. Um, what I would emphasise, though, is when you go to look for omega-3 supplements, often you will see there are some that are just omega-3 and there are some that are omega-3, 6 and 9. So I would avoid the ones that are 6 and 9 because it's you're talking about raising the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 and 9. So you need to be just taking the omega-3. Excellent. That's, that's that's really handy to know. So we've talked about omega-3, vitamin D, vitamin B2, which is a riboflavin, and coenzyme Q10. You mentioned that there were five. The magnesium is the other one. I still, magnesium, I still offer okay. that to, to everybody. <laughs> that's usually my first one because it's so useful. It? it can be helpful yeah. for sleep. It can be helpful for anxiety. You do need to, uh, you can think about taking it orally or you can put Epsom salts in the bath or you can spray on magnesium chloride in the form of oil spray. Uh, so lots of different ways to get magnesium and again, a very safe one. A bit laxative if you use a citrate, so watch out for that. You might yeah, want so to find... Yes, I was going to ask which version <laughs> yes. do you have a favourite form of magnesium that you recommend? Well, the citrate was the one they looked at in the studies, but if it, if you're needing a bit of a laxative effect then go for the citrate because it's well evidenced uh, and they advise people to take 600 milligrams daily but I always say to people go go in on a low dose increase slowly I don't want people cursing me as they rush off to the toilet all day instead of uh, instead of having their headaches um, and also uh, there are some other bio more bioavailable forms sometimes the glycinate form um, I have a lot of patients who have chronic pain, like fibromyalgia. So a lot of my hypermobile patients with Ellis Danlos um, find the glycinate is a bit uh, more tolerable for them. Yeah, certainly that that's Lily's uh, Lily's issue, and I'm I'm super grateful to you and all the doctors at the National Migraine Centre for for helping Lily. How do people get to contact the centre? I mean, is are you an NHS resource? I mean, what's what's the setup? No, we are completely independent. We're a charity. Um, at the moment, because of the impact of the pandemic, we're doing all of our consultations on video or telephone. Uh, we had to relinquish our clinic because we couldn't afford to be renting an empty building that nobody could go to. But in fact, that suited a lot of our patients very well because they're coming from all over the UK. And now all they have to do is go to their sitting room or bedroom and uh, get on the Zoom. Um, so people can self-refer to us. We have a, a long waiting list at the moment because a lot of NHS neurology clinics are very overloaded. And so people have been finding out more about us and coming to us. And we're uh, currently training at eight new doctors to join our team so hopefully that will make the waiting list a bit shorter um really, but i that's often fantastic. yeah yeah i'm really excited about that and uh, i often also direct people to our podcast the heads up podcast um which has been a real kind of joy to do and and there's a lot of episodes we're in series four at the moment and i think of it really as a sort of encyclopedia of migraine tips 
That is just absolutely brilliant. What an amazing free resource. And presumably people can also support the charity as well. Yes, uh, we would love it if they would give donations yep. or if they would do reviews and and just spread the word as well. Because, yes. you know, we, we are passionate about getting the word out there for more people to get better help for their migraine attacks. Oh, I remember, I think it was the, the first time that we spoke, you made the point that there's so little research funding into migraine because people don't die of it. it, it it's not a, a terminal disease and, and it's something that's hidden. It's a hidden disability. You can't obviously see when somebody is in such extreme pain and yet it's just so debilitating. Absolutely. It's a common condition. It's one in three people getting migraine, but um sorry, one in seven people, but three times as many women. And historically, because it was a largely a, a condition that women were getting back in Victorian times, there was a bit of a stigma that women were a bit flaky and they, you know, they just uh, were a bit neurotic. So I don't, I think that's lingered on. I think that may be part of the reason. Um, but I, I think globally it is underfunded, under-researched and under-diagnosed. And the other group of people who don't take migraine uh, very seriously are people who get it but don't realise that they're getting it. So I'm on a, quite a campaign to make people just double-check, are those headaches that you're getting migraine attacks? Because people say to me, oh, I just get the normal headaches. There's no such thing. That's a symptom of something. And you need to find out why you're getting those headaches. And almost invariably, because it's so common, the answer is you are getting migraine. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That is, I, I love that line. There's no such thing as a normal headache. We shouldn't really be putting up with any kind of pain, should we? Because it is an indication that something is not working well in the body. I'm interested about this genetic connection. If we could just come back to that briefly. Are there any factors that predispose us to that? You know, in your research and your work with all the patients, are you picking up a certain racial type or an age group or a demographic or a you know, is, are there sort of clues, visual clues almost that, that would lead you to think actually that person is very likely to have the gene? Um, there doesn't seem to be a geographical variation or, or any kind of racial thing. It is a global problem. Uh, so anybody can get it. The One of the things that makes me prick up my ears is uh, if a mother and a father both have migraine, then unfortunately their child is a lot more likely to get uh, a migraine attack throughout their lives and sometimes more severely, unfortunately. So, yes. And, and I also do, when I'm asking about family history, I also stress to people, I, you know, have you got descendants? <laughs> do you have children? And how are they? Because quite often I'll be speaking to mums and they, and they say, oh, yes, I've got a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old daughter and she's getting uh, a, a few headaches now. She's started having her periods and, and my son is a bit tummy achy or gets very travel sick. And uh, those kind of clues are really helpful in, in spotting kids with migraine uh, who often, often go undiagnosed. Gosh, so my youngest does get tummy pains and does get travel sick. So do you think that could be linked to the, the migraine gene? Definitely linked condition, yeah. We know it's a linked condition. There's a number of things in children that point us to having a higher suspicion that they're going to get migraine. Um, and that's uh, cyclical vomiting, uh, sometimes recurrent dizziness and uh, recurrent abdominal pain. So abdominal migraine in children is very common and very commonly missed and uh, as being migraine. And so they get trundled off and have lots of tests and people fret and they miss school because they're going pale, want to go and lie down, don't like the light or the noise, and they're just getting horrible tummy pains. So I insisted when I wrote the book, I said to Penguin, it's not a book for kids, but I'm pushing in a whole chapter for kids because... I, I am so reading that chapter that because that you are really speaking to, to, to my youngest. What can I do then as a parent? How can I help prevent? I mean, obviously trying to keep them stable with a good routine, which I have to say in our home life in recent months hasn't been that easy, but hopefully will will become more so now. But what can I give him that would help? I mean, are normal painkillers going to help? Yes. Often in children, uh, the, the the attacks are milder. They're more easily manageable. We do see some kids with chronic migraine, sadly. But um, what age is he? He's 11. He's 11. So we find that often it kicks off when um, boys or girls are going through growth spurts or going through puberty. Right. If you yeah. think of the transition from primary school to secondary school and the changes that happen to teenagers, a peak time for them to get migraine is in their sort of mid-teens because they're having to move to a new school. They may be needing more sleep. We know the teenage brain needs a longer period of time to sleep. 
Um, but of course, our society says, no, no, school children have to get up at 7.30 and go off to school rather than lie until 10 o'clock, which might be more biologically favorable for their brains. Um, so they then catch up with sleep at the weekend. So that's another change if they have a long lie-in. Often uh, kids are having their meal times in the evenings a little bit earlier. They may be doing sports or things after school, um, maybe haven't had a snack before they go and do their football practice or whatever that might be. So it's really about being what I call a migraine detective. Think about what things are changing in the 24 or 48 hours before the tummy ache or the headache is coming on. And then think, right, what of those things are consistently happening and what going forward could we control a bit better? Mm, gosh, that is so fascinating. Is there a, a particular proprietary painkiller that's been found to be more effective? You know, is paracetamol more effective than ibuprofen, for example? I would say generally ibuprofen is better. Paracetamol can be helpful, but it's relatively weak. But in kids, it can work quite nicely. It tends to be a lot weaker in adults. The soluble form of paracetamol can be more quickly absorbed. Ibuprofen, you can get the lysine formulation. That seems to be more quickly absorbed. So the trick with migraine is to hit it quickly with medication rather than wait until it's getting into a full-blown attack. And this is exactly the same for abdominal migraine as for headache more typical headache migraines and then fascinating when you say lysine is is that the amino acid lysine uh i ibuprofen lysine i think it's marketed as neurofen migraine or something like that tends to be a capsule yeah so rather than just getting the standard tablets if you look on the shelves you'll be you'll be able to find the lysine yeah and then the triptans which we use in adults um, are widely used in kids as well, although sometimes these are used off license. But uh, globally, headache specialists have been using uh, the triptans in children, and doctors uh, are able to prescribe those for them, and they can be really, really helpful. Gosh, interesting. And what about other kinds of prescription medications? Do you have a kind of a wide armory at your fingertips that you can prescribe as a doctor? Absolutely. Yes, there's a whole range of different medications uh, that can be used in children or in adults. A lot of the medications are borrowed from other conditions. So we use some that are also used in higher doses for antidepressants or maybe beta blockers or may which are sometimes used for blood pressure um so we we have until recently we haven't had very many medications which are specifically for migraine um so the preventers tend to be borrowed the um injection therapies like botox or great occipital nerve blocks and the newer anti-CGRP drugs are, are very useful in adults. We don't tend to use them so much in children, partly because they haven't been studied so much and partly because children don't tend to like injections. But there is some research going on in using Botox and the new anti-CGRP drugs. There are some studies going on, I think, in the States uh, as to whether we can use those in teenagers. Um, and then the other thing of the neuromodulation devices, which uh, one particular one, the Cephaly Dual, uh, I think I'm never sure if it's called Cephaly or Cephaly. Um, it begins with a C-E-F-A-L-Y. And that is like a little electrical device that you put in the middle of your forehead. And children and adults can use that. And I have a teenager who really likes it and says it takes the edge off his migraine headaches. Um, and quite a lot of adults find that's nice 
to have something that's not medication. Yes, no, I, I know Lily's got one of those. I often see her walking around the, the, the house with, a, yeah. with her little gadget on. She looks a bit like a robot. It's quite um, startling, isn't it? it? <laughs> Not it something you'd wear out around the supermarket. <laughs> Not necessarily, no. <laughs> but interesting that there are, you know, that, that there are options available and definitely worth talking about with your doctor. And presumably these kind of things are all listed on the website for the National Migraine Centre, yes, are they? Yes, they are. And we have episodes in our podcast podcast and they're outlined in my book as well. Mm, fantastic. Just before we go, you mentioned there about children not liking jabs and obviously, you know, vaccinations are quite front of mind at the moment. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of reports from women um, post-vaccine to say that their migraines seem to have returned or been triggered. Is there any kind of link there? I think we're hearing this. Uh, not, people who are getting COVID are also getting aggravation of their migraine quite badly sometimes. Uh, and also people who are having vaccinations sometimes having aggravation of their migraine attacks just uh, for a short period of time. It doesn't normally last for very long. It shouldn't be a reason for people to not have the vaccine. Uh, so I think just to be aware of it, but it's it's not it's not being a major problem, uh, but it's something to be aware of, I think. And do we know why that would be? I think it's just uh, the vaccine and, and COVID just seem to put the body out of kilter a little bit, don't they? Um, COVID in itself is, is such a strange condition. And I think there's quite a lot of evidence that it can uh, inflame the brain in different ways. We've heard a lot about people not being able to smell or taste. Uh, and, and that's kind of neuronal damage. But um, yeah, I've certainly had patients with covid who've who felt a lot worse afterwards um yeah i guess it's that whole element of change again isn't it extraordinary change going on in the body but it's brilliant that there are some strategies that can really help and as aware you know being aware is just so beneficial and knowledge is power as we always say your book managing your migraine that came out i think on the same day as dr louise newson's book yes Yes, so it was... you, you, you were fighting up the bestseller charts. I know that they've both done really well. <laughs> well, it's been great, actually. And, and Louise and I uh, were delighted to be sharing that launch for the Penguin Life Expert series, um, partly because we both know how many perimenopausal women get migraine. I see lots of perimenopausal women in my clinic and she sees lots of women with migraine in her menopause clinics. Uh, so, and both of us get migraine. So we have been guests on each other's podcasts for the reason oh, both brilliant. of us are passionate about raising awareness of our, of our conditions that we've written the books about. So yes, it's been a busy time and a very happy time to be able to raise awareness. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much during this very busy time for being here and continuing to raise awareness and continuing to do such great jobs, uh, both of you. And I will definitely put all the links to everything that you've spoken about here in our podcast notes. Um, and would you just remind us the name and the website address for the charity so people can easily find you? So we're the National Migraine Centre and it's www.nationalmigrainecentre.org.uk org.uk brilliant katie thank you so much huge congratulations on your book again many many best wishes for continued success you really do amazing work all of you and and your team there at the center thank you thank you so much well my thanks there to dr katie monroe and just to add i think 
we'd all agree that there needs to be just so much more awareness and understanding of how migraines seriously impact lives. You know, too many of us are perhaps not fully realising what it's like to actually have to live with this condition. So Migraine Awareness Week is a moment in the year when everyone affected by migraines and everyone working to help those affected can work together to raise the profile of migraine as a complex neurological condition and really dispel any ideas that it is, quote, just a headache. And having lived with Lily these past few years and seen just how awful the condition is and how great the impact on her life, I can confirm that seriously, it is not just a headache. Well, from one physical headache to another metaphorical one and the ongoing oestrogen gel saga. Oh, big sigh. Lots of you writing in right now to tell of your experiences and also commenting on my social media platforms. Always welcome. You will find me at Lizelle Me on Instagram and Twitter and on the Lizelle Wellbeing magazine accounts for both Facebook and YouTube. Uh, this email came in, uh, came into my studios. The email address is hq at lizellewellbeing.com. And it's from Roxanne, who says, this is about the oestrogen saga. So I commented last week on my Friday Five podcast and asked for comments. And this is what Roxanne writes in to say, hi, Liz, just been listening to your Friday podcast um, and the question from Rosemary. I've been following your updates on the ongoing issues involving oestrodose. Well, to cut a long story short, due to my symptoms returning, when my local chemist gave me oestrodose instead of oestrogel, and I requested that they only did give me the oestrogel, this did not go down very well with the pharmacist, so I'm afraid I resorted to getting emotional in the shop. Since then, so far, I've been given the oestrogel. But prior to this, I did persevere for quite a long time. I did start to give every new container a good shake before starting it. And I'm not sure whether it helped or not, because as soon as I had the gel, I went back to it. I presume she means the oestrogel, having shaken it. Um, anyway, very good point about that, giving it a good shake. Also, during the very warm weather, I became concerned that my gel was getting too warm. It says on the container that it shouldn't be stored above 25 degrees. As the weather got warmer, it was above this temperature in my house. Anyway, just some more thoughts for us all. Thank you for your podcast. It's the reason I started HRT after 12 years of misery and found the Newson Health Clinic. Oh, my goodness. Well, really interesting points there. Absolutely. Could it be that the gel is getting too warm and something is happening to it? I mean, clearly, I know anybody who was around this summer with their gel, it could well have been way over 25 degrees. And of course, giving it a good shake. I remember, I think, was it Rosemary last week who said that she found that it stopped working once she got halfway down the pack. So whether the contents were settling in some way... Anyway, thank you very much for that feedback. And isn't that astonishing that a woman should have to have 12 years of misery in her life before getting something as simple as her own oestrogen replaced? Uh, well, there is a lot more chat, actually, about all of that. Um, this one, in fact, came in. It's a similar vein from across the pond in America. 
Uh, this is from Heather, who writes to say, I very much enjoy and appreciate the podcast, the Instagram feed and the magazine. I am here in Western America and I share your podcast with friends regularly. The menopause script with primary care physicians here is abominable. One doctor put a friend on eight milligrams of oral estrogen, but told her she could only do it for five years. I asked her if she would question her doctor about the dose and the way she was taking it, and she is now on a bioidentical patch. Excellent. Uh, the doctor did not know anything about bioidenticals and thought they were the same as compounded hormones. No, do not go near the unregulated compounded hormones, very often sold at vastly inflated prices by profiteering private clinics. No, no, no. Bioidenticals are the regulated hormones that come from gels or patches. Uh, lots more about that in my e-guide, The Truth About HRT, by the way, if you are interested and need more information. Uh, this uh, Heather goes on to say, my friend had a history of heart disease in her family. So the fact that she was taking so much oral estrogen very much concerned me. And when she brought this up to her doctor, the doctor acted like she had no idea why she was on that prescription, yet she'd prescribed it. Oh dear. Other friends are terrified of hormones and their doctors are absolutely no help. It can be disheartening. I judge no one for how they handle their health, but I want everyone to have the facts and take fear out of the equation. Your work does a lot to this end. I always recommend your work amongst a handful of trusted resources and I tell my overwhelmed friends to take it in small doses so as not to be overwhelmed. My learning journey is two years and counting. And then Heather says, I'm devouring Dr. Robert Lustig's new book called Metabolical. I think it would really resonate with you. I would love to hear an interview. He thinks about health and the questions that propel him to dig deeper and understand what's really going on with our bodies. Yes, I have actually followed Dr. Robert Lustig, I think on Twitter. Um, and I know that he is uh, a compatriot, if that's the right word, with Dr. Asim Malhotra, who I've interviewed here. So, yes, that's a very good suggestion. Thank you very much, Heather. I will follow that up and I will take a look at his book, Metabolical. Um, some other comments here that have come in across social media, particularly on Instagram. Um, this one here from Tanya Angel saying, Liz, I cannot thank you enough. I recently read your Good Menopause Guide and it has changed my life and my relationships for the better. I am a 51-year-old nurse and I've been taking HRT for two months now and have already benefited so much. Your excellent health and well-being advice was a stark reminder of what I know I should be doing. Reading the guide has somehow given me the permission to look after me a little. Thank you, Liz. Oh, thank you, Tanya. That's just great to hear. This is from Julie, also on Instagram. Uh, Hi, Liz. I've been watching your videos on the menopause. I found it really interesting. I am 65 and have never taken any supplements or HRT since starting the menopause when I was about 48. Is there still any benefit to taking menopause supplements for me now? I have trouble sleeping at night. I've just resubscribed to your magazine. Regards, Julie. Well, hi, Julie. I hope that you are a podcast listener as well. Absolutely there are benefits. If you are still getting symptoms 
from low estrogen and of course insomnia and a poor night's sleep is absolutely classic, then do please go and talk to your GP. Hopefully you will have an enlightened GP that has had some recent menopause training. GPs find it harder sometimes to prescribe HRT for the first time over the age of 60, but it is by no means impossible. And if I were you, I would download the Balance app. That is the free menopause app. And you can track symptoms and connect with a lot of interesting people in the community who will certainly be able to help you. Um, one last thing, actually, before I go, and this I picked up also on Instagram, and it's a doctor called Menopause Health. And this is really interesting. She writes a lot about the estrogen and estrogel repackaging issue. I'm not going to talk endlessly about this, I promise, but I think it's quite useful now for anybody affected. Uh, so do take a look. If you're on Instagram, it is worth having a look at. And I'll just read you some of the things that she's put on her post. She says here, I'm still getting lots of questions about the new labels on estrogel pump packs. And then she has posted a photo. And she has said here, the pack with the orange swirl at the top and the orange wave and the orange square at the bottom uh, has been around for a while and works very well, she says, for most of her patients. The new pack without the orange swirl and with a separate yellow wave and yellow square was introduced in April of this year. Some women are still getting the old packs from the pharmacy, but as these supplies run out, women will get the new ones. And some women are reporting that all their menopausal symptoms have returned and since realise that this correlates with the change in the label. However, others have not noticed any difference. There seems to be a difference in texture. There's also another bottle. My goodness, this is getting forensically complicated. There's also another bottle with the orange swirl and wave, but a green square at the bottom. This has also led to a recurrence of symptoms in some women, but seems less of a problem. I've been sent photos of other labels from abroad. Then this doctor goes on to write, at this stage, we really don't know what is going on. It's complicated by the fact that there are significant individual variations in the absorption and the metabolism of products and the level of estrogen each woman needs to control symptoms, and they can vary over time. Bessins, who are the manufacturers, say they all contain the same gel, but are hopefully investigating. And you can help this process by reporting any problems via the Yellow Card Scheme. And that is Yellow Card, which is run by the MHRA. And you can do that online. It's yellowcard.mhra.gov.uk. Or you can download the yellow card app and report it. And she goes on to say, please don't panic if you have one of these new bottles and feel fine, as it does not seem to be affecting everyone. If you are having problems, please see my previous posts on other estrogen options. And please don't give up HRT. Because of this, um, yeah, there are other options. You can switch to the Sandrina gel. You can get estrogen patches or you can switch to the Lenzetto estrogen spray. But just be aware, I certainly, when I pick up my next prescription for estrogel, I am going to be looking at the colour of those squares on the box very carefully. Orange, yellow, green, 
What are they? What do they mean? I think we need to be told. And of course, do, do please keep your reports coming in directly to Bessons and also importantly on the Yellow Card reporting app. Interestingly, a lot of women saying after the COVID vaccinations that they are having issues with oestrogen absorption and menopausal symptoms returning. So if that's the case for you, do please report these also. All side effects and symptoms should always be reported to the MHRA so they can monitor and keep track and better inform us for the future. So there you go. Hope that is helpful. Oh my goodness, I wish it wasn't so complicated. Uh, maybe I'll just stick a patch on here and be done with it. Anyway, that is all for this week. I hope you have enjoyed the catch up and found some of the content helpful. It's always good to get your feedback. Thank you very much for your continued support. It really does keep us all going here, I can assure you. You know, I was looking at the stats the other day. We have recorded 265 episodes of my podcast now. We've had around 2 million downloads and we are almost at a thousand five-star ratings. Isn't that great? So go on, click those little stars at the end of this podcast. Help us reach the thousand. Uh, my podcast team and I will share a special celebration with you all here when we do that. So will you help? Be fab if you could. Uh, in the meantime, have a great weekend. If you are listening to this on a Friday launch date, have a good weekend and a very good week ahead. Don't forget, you can catch the long form edition of the Lizard Wellbeing Show this week which is with the brilliant American physician, Dr. Kenneth Bock, talking all about brain inflammation and depression. I really enjoyed recording that one. It is absolutely fascinating. And also last week's episode with the arthritis foodie, Emily Johnson, a truly inspirational young woman. Do please give both episodes a listen if you get a moment. Until next week then, go well. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% 
10% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.